Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Avery Carl joining us here this afternoon. Avery, I really appreciate your time. Before we kick things off, I want to head everybody over to your website because uh, there's a lot of content there. I want to make sure that if they want to follow along. So the shorttermshop.com, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes. But Avery, I think your domain name says it all. Short-term rentals. How did you end up here? Well, uh, it's a little bit of a long story, but um, accidentally, as most real estate investors end up in real estate investing, I don't think very many people when they were five said, I want to grow up and be a real estate investor. So I guess, so I'll start halfway through the story. So my husband and I moved to Nashville from New York City in in 2013. We don't live there anymore, but that's kind of where it started. And um, I was getting my master's at the time. He was working in the music industry. I was also working in the music industry. And our real estate agent at the time was really trying to get us to buy in this really hip, really fast appreciating part of Nashville. And we were like, eh, no, you know, we didn't move from Brooklyn to live in the middle of the city. We want to live. If we're moving to Tennessee, we're living out in the country. So we bought a house out in the country, but we thought, well, you know, maybe there's something to that fast appreciating thing. You know, maybe we should take this little bit of money that we have left and buy one of those houses. And maybe one day our hypothetical future children will need to go to college and we can just sell this house and the appreciation will pay for their college. And we'll be like the smartest people ever. Nobody's ever been this smart before. And we're going to be so smart. And so we bought one. We didn't even know it was called real estate investing at the time. We just happened to get really lucky that it was a good one. We paid 122 for it. The mortgage on it was 645 bucks and we were able to rent it for 1500. So not bad for a little tiny single family. And then when we got that first rent check, we were like, oh, wait a minute. We want to build a business out of this. We want more of these. So then we started doing the actual education part of it and realized that appreciation is not a good reason to invest in something. Luckily, it didn't bite us in the butt on that. But uh, so we had just a little bit of capital left and we thought, well, well, what can we buy that will make us the most amount of money the fastest so that we can go buy more properties so we can scale our portfolio faster. So we landed on short-term rentals and we didn't want to do it in Nashville at the time because the regulations are just changing constantly there. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to get caught up in that. So we thought, well, where can we buy something that the normal thing for people to do is go rent a house. And we landed on the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. People go there to rent cabins. They don't go there to stay in hotels. And there's lots and lots of tourists coming through all the time. So at the time, there's lots of better ways to do research now, but when we started, there there were not a lot of resources. So at the time, we did the best with the data and information that we could get, bought one, and that quickly became five in that area, five short-term rentals over the course of the next 18 months, which over the course of the past five years has become uh, 105 doors with another 48 under contract. Um, a mix of eight short-term rentals, four multis of 12 units and up, and then the rest single and duplexes, uh, long-term rentals. So a little bit of everything. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack just in that, in that little, <laughs> yeah. that little blitz right there. <laughs> so you obviously, you, you didn't then start with your short-term rental portfolio in your backyard or did you? Maybe I missed that. 
We did not, no. Um, so it's possible to start with your short-term rental portfolio in your backyard, but it's you're not always going to live in the best place for short-term rentals. And I personally like to stick to those regional drivable vacation markets like the Smokies. My other ones are in Destin, Florida and Cape Sandblast, Florida. So areas where people, the majority of the tourism is driving in, not flying. And the area is dependent on tourism. So you don't have to worry about a lot of primary homeowners saying, hey, we don't want this here because these are areas where short-term rentals have been forever. So I stick to those types of markets rather than the, you know, in my backyard in Nashville type of markets, even though now I live in Destin. So I moved to <laughs> a vacation market. So you you mentioned that you, you kind of stick to specific markets then that are kind of uh, destinations, if you will. Are there criteria that you like hard set criteria that you use to determine what market would be a good fit? Yes. So I, the number one thing you want to look for when you are trying to choose a short-term rental market is favorable regulations and established regulations. So regulations where there's a lot of push and pull and change. And I hate to keep picking on Nashville. I just used to live there. So I know it the best Nashville there's a lot of primary homeowners there that are not dependent. Their, their income is not dependent on tourism and vacation. So there's a lot of people who do not want bachelor parties next door to their house. I mean, I don't either. So I stick to places where the area is dependent on tourism and a, the regulations are very, very established. So like Destin, Florida, where I live, there were vacation rentals on the beach before there was electricity here in the 20s. So the cities and counties figured out how to monetize and regulate the short-term rentals decades and decades ago. Nashville, for example, it all started about 10 years ago, and they're still kind of trying to figure out what the equilibrium is and where things are going to land. So you want an area that has established rules and regulations. You don't really want an area that has no rules. A lot of people are like, oh, wow, I found this gold mine. There are no regulations, but it's not if the regulations are coming, it's when they're coming. So it's better to have regulations in place than none at all. So regulations are most important. The other thing that I look for is I want accessibility and affordability. So there's three types of markets that you can invest in short-term rentals. One, metro markets like Nashville. Two, big fly-to vacation destinations like Aspen, Hawaii, places like that. And then I focus on regional drivable vacation markets because they are both accessible and affordable. So in 2008, when the market turned and people didn't have a lot of extra cash, they weren't necessarily flying to Aspen anymore, but they would you know, drive to the Smoky Mountains for a weekend because it's a cheaper vacation and they didn't have the money to do Aspen. Last year, people didn't want to get on planes, so they weren't necessarily like flying to Cancun to go to the beach, but they would, you know, if they live in the Southeast, drive to Panama City and go to the beach there. So in the last two downturns, those types of markets are, I don't know that COVID's necessarily a downturn, but certainly an event. Those types of markets have been a little bit insulated, and then they already have the built-in millions of tourists coming in a year and the infrastructure for being able to find cleaners and handymen just because it's such a big industry in those areas. So that's what I look for. So let's let's take a minute and talk a little bit now. Now you've you've it sounds like you've given us the blueprint on on picking the right market. How about picking the right property? How do you run those numbers compared to since you've had experience with a traditional rental property, do you run those numbers differently? Absolutely. So with the difference between long-term and short-term is that long-term fits really, really nicely into a spreadsheet. The rent is the same every month. And that's what it's going to be unless you go in there and do a major renovation or minor, depending on what it is. But with short terms, there's seasonality, there's pricing differences, just, you know, vary, that vary by weeks and days. So you're going to be 
a lot more expensive on the July 4th weekend than you are like a random Tuesday in October. So there's not an easy spreadsheet to use, but um, gross annual income is what I look at when it comes to short terms, because that helps you get to your cash on cash return number. And short terms are really more dependent on the way the success of them is more dependent on the way they're managed than only the property itself. Like long terms, multis, the success is dependent on the property. But short terms, there's lots of different ways to optimize and boost that income so that you're making more than your neighbor that you just kind of can't measure with a spreadsheet. So I look at gross annual income. I look at there's a lot of data sources out there where you can get market-wide data for short-term rentals. Um, AirDNA is one. Rabu is another one. Price Labs, which is a tool that you use to price your property once you already own it, has a function in there called the market dashboards, which also shows market-wide data. So I use a combination of that and then what we call the enemy method, which is basically where you just look, zoom in on the map on Airbnb and VRBO into the neighborhood that you plan to buy and look at your enemies or your neighbors, but enemy methods more fun to say. And you're looking at why the data says what it says. So things like is the, so if you're looking at a four bedroom and the four bedroom next door to you is falling down and it's in disrepair and the pictures are terrible and it's really grandma, well, you're going to be able to do better than what they're doing. But if the four bedroom next door to you comes with like a private jet and a private chef and all this craziness, well, you're probably not going to be able to do as well as they are. So you're kind of looking, taking the data, using the enemy method to kind of see why the data says what it says. And then you're kind of backing into your cash on cash return from there. Is there a way to then see what your enemy enemies are doing when it comes to booking too? then? So you can see like, okay, this is an actual hot area. You can kind of confirm that uh, another Airbnb could, could work well there. So there's no way to truly confirm without another owner just opening their books to you, but there are lots of tools and algorithms that can tell by their number of book days and prices about what they did, which is what you can see on Air, AirDNA and Rabu. It's really, really close. It's not perfect, but that's why I recommend using two, three data sources and not just one. And you can kind of get you know zero in average of those three. So you have a number of short-term rentals now, various parts of, of the United States, and quite a few of them. How do you manage all of this and, and then on top of it remotely? That is a really good question. So that's kind of what we do at the short-term shop. So we are real estate agents in 10 markets that work only with short-term rental investors. Uh, we closed over a thousand deals last year. So we connected investors with over a thousand cash flowing short-term rentals. And we teach them, not only do we help them find the property, we teach them how to manage it remotely so that they don't have to go that traditional property management route. Because with long-terms, like all my long-terms are with a property manager, but short-term, the gross, well, the split with the property manager does not, it's just not worth the amount of work that it is. So with short-terms, a lot of it is automatable with a few apps on your phone. So property management software is really, really, really smart nowadays, really automated, uh, automatically books. When somebody books on your property, it will automatically book on your cleaner's calendar. So they know when they have to go clean, it integrates with iCal, Google Calendar, whatever they're using. Uh, a lot of the communication is automated too, so that unless the guest asks something really, really specific, you're not having to respond to them. You can set up all these automations to make sure that every question they could possibly have is answered unless they ask like, hey, I can't find a spatula. Where might I find that? So most of it is automated. And the average traditional 
property management split in short term is 25%. And for me, for eight properties last year, to give you some perspective, if I had paid a manager that, I would have paid them $200,000. And as a real estate investor, I have better things to do with that $200,000, like put it into the 48 unit that I'm under contract on right now. So it's just so easily done with apps on your phone that it just doesn't make sense to use that traditional type property manager. You really just need a good cleaner and a good handy person. You can build out your other boots on the ground from there. Everything else can be semi-automated. You're still having to manage the systems, but you're not having to like run out and give people keys and turn lights on and stuff. So just a reminder, everybody head over to the shorttermshop.com to find out some more information. I also found your YouTube channel. There's a lot of content there as well. Yeah, yeah. We definitely try to uh, put out enough content for people to get comfortable with the idea of self-managing and help them realize that they can do it. I mean, when I started, I was making a $37,000 marketing manager strategy in, in the music strategy, marketing manager salary in the music business. And, um, you know, just five or six years later, I've got 105 doors and financially independent by a lot. So um, people, anyone can do it. Sure. So I, I would imagine that these processes and procedures and, and applications and getting those boots on the ground is, would you say that's a fair concept to, to throw out regarding how you're scaling then? And because it sounds like you're growing rather quickly and, and in various vacation spots. Yeah. So the process is the same in any vacation spot. So in all the markets that I'm in, They've had vacation rentals since well before the Airbnb, well before the internet, well before Airbnb, all those things. So there's a big infrastructure of cleaners who know how to turn a vacation rental. So when you're buying like in a metro market or like if I'm in Starkville, Mississippi, where I grew up, there's not really an industry for that. So I'm going to have to find a housekeeper that's used to cleaning just regular houses and teach them the process for cleaning a vacation rental. But in these markets, like all the cleaners already know the process to do it. There's, there are plenty of, I mean, it's always hard to find good work, but there's plenty of workers that focus on these types of things. So uh, in any market that you're buying, I would just say, join the local real estate investment groups. There's also in, especially in the vacation markets, there are Airbnb and short-term rental owner groups specifically, where a lot of that information is shared. So you can find those boots on the ground people. And then uh, really, you just need a good property management software. The one that I use is Guesty for hosts. That's the easiest to use, in my opinion. But there are some other good ones like IGMS and some other ones. And then you just need a good pricing manager, which a pricing manager is probably the most important in terms of how much money you're going to make, because it is constantly analyzing past booking data and current booking data for the market that you're in, as well as events happening in the market that you might not realize are going on to make sure that it's pricing you at the highest possible price per night. So those two pieces of technology and those two people, your cleaner and your handy person, and you're on your way. So, you know, you've obviously painted a, a interesting picture here when it comes to short-term rentals, but I think a lot of people are going to wonder, like, what are, what are the actual returns compared can you, and can you compare those to a more traditional long-term single family home rental? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, my most recent single families and even multis are like between four and 8% just because it, they need some updates or, you know, they, they need some things. Whereas my lowest short-term I think is in the 30% cash on cash return range. So uh, you want you're looking really for 
a minimum of 15% with the assumption that you are going to be able to bump that up to 20. But I mean, we see people get up into the thirties and forties all the time. I actually did have, there is an agent on my team, Julie, who years ago before prices went completely nuts across the country, uh, she bought a cabin in the Smokies and had a 100% cash on cash return year one. Those deals aren't out there anymore, but uh, it's it's pretty easy to get into the 20s and 30s. Sure. Well, it, it sounds like there, what are, what are those particular amenities then that seem to biggest be the biggest return on the investment when, it, when you're trying to inke- increase that cash on cash return? Pools for sure. Uh, so in the beach markets, a private pool is great, but you also, if you don't, if you can't get a private pool, then access to a community pool is, is a big one too. And then in the mountain markets, indoor pools are starting to be a thing like basement pools. And those can add, I mean, 50 to $75,000 worth of income in a year. So it just kind of depends. But, uh, as long if you're buying in the right market, as long as the property is in line with what tourists have come to expect. So for example, mountain market cabin or as cabiny as possible, not brick ranch home. Or if you're buying on the beach, you know, beachfront condo or bright colored or white is like the new beach house color, but you know, beach houses and condos. And again, not like, you know, white vinyl siding mid two thousands built that just looks like, you know, you could pick it up and move it anywhere and it would fit. So whatever is in line with what the tourists have come to expect, as long as you are providing that and it's a cute, nice, clean place to stay, then you should be okay. So it, it seems like that there was a, a, a bit of a land rush, if you will, when it came, came to Airbnb and, and the short-term rentals. Everybody was getting into it when they realized that they could make a, a sizable return on, on their investment. Now you got these, these websites. And frankly, I, I, when you're, when you're first starting out in short-term rentals, what would a person have to do or what can they do in order to stand out? Because it seems like the people that have had some sort of history are the ones that are probably going to get picked first. So again, if you're buying in the right market, then you don't have to worry about getting picked first. Like the Smokies, for example, has 13 million visitors a year into the park. Uh, the area of Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, Sevierville had 20 million visitors last year, and it just does not have enough does not have enough inventory to keep up with the demand and the growth. Down here on the Emerald Coast, same thing: eight to 10 million visitors every summer, and there's just not enough real estate to actually support all of that. So, if you're but if you're buying, like again, I'm going to use where I'm from in Mississippi, like. My dad thinks that West Point, Mississippi, where his fishing camp is, is like the greatest place on earth, but it's probably not a good place to have an Airbnb because nobody wants to go there. There's nothing there except his fishing camp that he loves. So that would be a place where maybe one Airbnb is going to do okay, maybe two, but that's a place where you're going to have to worry about getting picked first or not getting picked at all. But in markets where there's just so much tourism that you just have to provide a cute, nice clean experience, it's really not that difficult. You don't have to worry about that different differentiating factor as much. Sure. Okay. Well, you know, it, it, uh, like I said, I I've actually tried the Airbnb thing, but my biggest mistake was trying to do it in my backyard. And, and frankly, every time I tried to turn it over, uh, it would kill any cash flow because, because of the cleaning crew and everything else. Where was it? Or do you want to say? Well, I'm up in near Fargo, North Dakota. So it's not a, oh, a travel destination <laughs> by any stretch. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that's why I just stick to those vacation markets. And that's a a place where there's lots and lots of tourists is going to be a place where they're willing to pay. Like my cleaning fee in Destin is $450 and guests don't even bat an eye at that. I actually charge them more than what the cleaner charges me and guests don't complain about it at all. So it's definitely an area, like if the precedent's already set, it's definitely something that is a lot easier to do in an area where there's a lot of them already than when you're the only one. Sure. Well, would it be fair to say that the short-term rentals and being a, you know, realtor to real estate investors who are buying these type of things, that's your primary business, but it sounds like you're also buying some long-term rentals. Is there a reason Mm -hmm. you're, you're in both? Yeah. Just diversity of portfolios. So I was able, the goal for us was not necessarily, we didn't start with short-term. We found that on our second investment. And our goal was never really to like, oh, we're just going to buy 150 short terms and just that's what we're going to do. Our goal was to build a big portfolio of different types of real estate. And we were able to do that faster because we invested in short terms towards the beginning of our investment career. So I'm certainly not a proponent of only having short terms. Like I think, you know, if you're going to have a portfolio of 200, maybe you have 10 short terms. You don't need more than that. Uh, Some people would tell me I'm wrong. I'm leaving money on the table. Why on earth would you buy this 24 unit apartment building when you could get a much better return for your money on a short term? I think COVID is a really good example of that. Although the opposite of what we thought was going to happen is what happened. So when the first COVID shutdowns happened, we were like, oh crap, there go the short terms. The jig is finally up. Good thing we have all these long terms to support us if the short terms go go down the tubes. And so, you know, sat around for two weeks on the, the first shutdowns. And as soon as those were over, the doors blew off of our short terms and we were making more money, more higher prices per night than we'd ever seen. But it was actually our long terms we had to worry about in the eviction moratoriums. That just goes to show that it doesn't matter which way the economy wants to mess you up. It's good to have different um, different streams of income. And But I also don't, like, even though I just said it's good to invest in different kinds, do one at a time. Like, I'm not saying run out and call 100 different agents and 100 different asset classes and 100 different markets and try it. Because that you're never going to get started if you do that. But we have our short-term machine kind of rolling. And then we got our long-term machine kind of rolling. And then uh, we started with the multis last year. And we kind of have our three pillars all separate from each other that we just keep keep cranking. So I don't recommend trying to do that until you've got a few under your belt. But for us, short terms were a means to scaling faster. And we'll probably never sell our short terms, but um, they're, they're definitely were not necessarily the end goal. They're just cash flow turbochargers in any kind of portfolio. So how did how did the uh, how did COVID impact your short term rentals? Over the past couple uh, of years, it's it's made them significantly more profitable. Really? Yeah, because of the type of market that they're in. So, in last year, everybody was dying to get out of their houses, but they didn't want to go to metro markets and breathe on you know breathe on people, people breathing on them and get sick. They didn't want to get on planes and go to big fly to markets for the same reason, but they were dying to get out of their houses. So those regional drivable vacations went went through the roof and everybody everybody was standing in line to to get out of their houses and get somewhere and so uh they just they kind of exploded in the past two years so you've been doing this now for quite a while the short-term rentals what was the one big thing that 
one of your biggest aha moments that when you, a lesson you learned? A lesson I learned. So your, it's okay to set business hours. And I learned that in my short-term rentals, but it's helped me across my real estate sales business and, and other things because guests, clients, customers, people kind of, when you're providing a service, they kind of want all of you all the time, which can cause some, take an emotional toll of like not being able to just take a chill pill. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to say, Hey, you know, we're going to respond. And we, this is on the front page of all of our Airbnbs. Like we are going to respond between this hour and this hour. And if something happens after this hour, it'll be addressed the next day. And so that's something that I've been able to kind of implement across the board with all of our different businesses is that, you know, after this time of night, hanging with the kids, if it's not an emergency, you will hear from me in the morning. And that, you know, that is really good for the old mental health. So. Sure. So here's kind of an oddball question. You've had a YouTube channel for a while. What is your number one viewed YouTube video? What's the topic? Um, That's a really good question. I haven't looked at my metrics in a minute. Uh, I think it's probably the enemy method that I mentioned earlier. Sure. uh, Where are you teaching you basically how to look at why the data says what it says. I think that one is the, the has the most hits. Yeah, that would make sense because I think that's, that is a, that isn't as well known or, or how, how these numbers are run and, and understanding how to uh, make sense of those numbers is probably a pretty vital piece of this. Right. So <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate your time. This has been really eye opening. And one more time, head over to the short term shop. Take a look at what Avery and her team are doing. Uh, there is a, you got a lot of content on this website. With that, I, I kind of warned you it was coming. Is there a question you wished I would have asked you here today? Well, normally I would say people forget to ask the, well, if short terms are so great, why, don't, why do you invest in long terms also? People usually skip that one. No, I think, I think you got everything. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving us some time here to get today again. And uh, you're welcome back anytime, Avery. I think you and I could probably go down various rabbit holes. And and I, I know that we've just tip of the iceberg on this. Yes, it, absolutely. I'm, I'd be happy to anytime. And thanks so much for having me today. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing, if so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.